Welcome back to Kentucky Fried Wargaming, where two guys who aren't qualified to talk about anything decide to talk about a game with hard math and chance. I'm Joe. And I'm John. And on this episode, uh, we're going to continue what, uh, what John and I would call new interests. As You know, we've been in the spot and hobby for a little while now. We've just kind of had time to let our eyes wander into some other uh, aspects of the hobby that maybe we didn't get into or try before, or other game systems that we haven't tried before. And y'all, I tried a new game system, and I'm having an absolute ball with it. Um, much like with Star Wars Legion, I went ahead and tried something else, and uh, I cannot believe I did not play this sooner. Uh, I hopped on... And played the A Song in Ice and Fire's mini A Song of Ice and Fire miniatures game. The name is cumbersome, but I swear the game's good. Uh, from here on out, I'm just gonna call it Song for that works simplicity's sake. Uh, just gonna call it Song. But I tried Song. Um, it was one of those things like I saw the minis during uh, was it during lockdown? God, the before time. I bought a starter set, I think it was during lockdown, and because uh, I just like the Night's Watch minis. And it was I, like a year ago, wasn't it? Because I remember us talking about it. It might have been on the show, actually. Yeah, it was a while back. It was a while back. And I was just going to paint Night's Watch minis, because I liked the Night Watch minis, and I really didn't have anybody to play with. But I decided over the past few weeks that I want to play more games, so I was just going to go find people to play games with. And, uh... Looking around locally, I found someone to teach me, and now I have played a couple of matches, and y'all, what fun. What absolute blast. So I thought we'd take some time to talk about it on the show, because now I'm getting many other people in my group hooked on it, because <laughs> I am the drug dealer. Hi, I am one of them. Yes, uh, got John involved. Wasn't a hard pitch, but it was a pitch. But first, hobby time and games played. All right, John, hobby time, games played. What you been up to? I move. Well, that is hobby time. Um, yeah, and like, I don't, this is not the first episode in a long time that I haven't had much of a hobby progress. And so like, I think it's important sometimes on the show to kind of express that, like, People go through ruts, and I've been going through a long rut with a hobby. And uh, to explain, like, I, I talked about it a little bit with Joe before recording. I don't have a desire to play 40k right now. I don't really have a desire to play AOS. Um, between the cost of playing both games and honestly being pretty unhappy with the rule set of 9th edition for 40k, and despite my excitement about like world eaters and those models coming out, I, I it's kind of undercut by this like fear of am I going to buy into this game and immediately like have to pop off of it uh, to do other things and then feel lost coming back, uh, which is a problem I kind of have with these like hamster wheel style games where you have to stay consistently on it or you just aren't in it anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, even casually, like with my friends, it's weird because like someone will be like, oh, did you read the FAQ on this thing? Like, but I played a game two weeks ago and it didn't exist. Yeah, well, like things get updated every like 72 hours now. It's which, like in a mostly rough. physical medium game. Like, I don't really want to have to constantly keep up with it. Like in video games, it makes a little bit more sense for me. But. Hearing Joe talk about a song by some fire kind of got me jazzed again, got me excited, got me into it, and I am already like mentally thinking about how I'm gonna paint the house that I'm gonna play. Uh, I'm wanting to like how I'm gonna base them, how I'm gonna work on them. Seems very exciting in a way that like I haven't been in a long time, right? Like, because there's so much wrapped up in the cost of the hobby all the time. It's so mm -hmm. fucking expensive. But when the cost become, becomes negligent, um, 
and you're not like having a 3D print in addition, adding a bunch of like time to stuff just to be able to afford it. And so you just pull out models that are pre-built, paint them, put them on a table, and there's not that many. It's a lot more fun. So I'm trying to recapture my childhood joy of playing with little plastic army men. And that's going to be my hobby progress for probably the next like two or three months. Well, and you just moved in, so you have to unpack the hobby space anyway. Yeah, but I think that's going to be my hobby project, right? Is like, what do I enjoy as like a hobbyist? And what did I enjoy when I got into this? And what can I do now to like foster that more in myself? An answer might be taking a break from some of the bigger games for a long time. So we'll find out. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think... That's not, I mean, we've obviously had whole day of episodes about taking a break, but I don't think think that's a bad thing. And just trying other games, especially when the games are real good. Um, I mean, for me over here on my end, uh, I have had a fair amount of hobby progress. Uh, Early, early after the last episode, I took some time and I don't know, did I already have build and paint the Armagers on the last episode? I think so. Did I? I don't recall. It all kind of blends together over the past few weeks. I've had a lot of stuff going on in my personal life. Um, but yeah, I have been building and magnetizing the Big Night, which I do quite a bit of. And then I also uh, built and set up a display case in my hobby room because I had a whole bunch of stuff just cluttering up carrying cases. And I needed to get them out of there because the carrying cases are for carrying stuff to like games rather than holding my everything <laughs> forever. So I got a nice display case, finally, uh, where I could display my painted minis that I worked so hard on. Which is just so fun. I'm looking at it now as we're recording, and it's nice to see all of the work just, like, arrayed in front of me. Um, I also fell into this A Song of Ice and Fire thing, so that has absorbed some hobby time, to say safely. Um, I went up and we'll talk about the games themselves, but I played a learner game up there with somebody at the shop, uh, sat there and like shot the shit with a bunch of people who play so that I could start playing more often, uh, taught my wife how to play and had a game with her as well as finding her, yeah, my wife, uh, as well as finding her an incredible deal on an army to get into the game. I couldn't find myself an incredible deal, but I found her an incredible deal and I found John an incredible deal. Hey, oh, crackhead prices. Yeah, just find great army bundles at crackhead prices, but not for my factions. No, no. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, you're pro- playing probably one of, if not the most popular faction. Because all they wear is black gambesons and have hand and a half swords. Hell, I want a Nightwatch army. It's true, they're cool, but they are a bitch to paint, which I'll talk about later. <laughs> but I did do uh, quite a bit of painting, uh, as well as playing. So I got the Night's Watch, as John mentioned, and I had to wash them all because these minis uh, are nicer quality than some of their old ones, but I think they got that way with extra mold release agent. So you kind of have to give them a little scrub scrub, I've heard. So I went ahead and I scrubbed all of the Night's Watch and then primed up a unit of Sworn Brothers as well as Maester Aemon and um, primed them and have been painting away on them. They are actually almost done. Um using specifically dry brushes rather than what I'm used to with airbrushing because I feel like unintentionally I dropped dry brushing out of my toolkit and I don't like I think subconsciously I assumed that like dry brushing was for entry level painters which is weird because if you asked me if that was the case I would easily tell you no because that's ridiculous but deeps down I guess I'm a liar so <laughs> Uh, I've really pushed myself to dry brush 90% of these things uh, and to go back to some stuff I haven't done in a while, which has been interesting but difficult because black on black on black on black is a hell of a paint scheme to try to make look interesting. But we're getting there. Uh, I also picked up some free folk, and now I'm really just trying to organize my next games for A Song of Ice and Fire because I'm an addict and uh, I want to play more miniature games. I uh I am struggling really hard. So like I've read all the books, right? Oh, look at you, big dude! Read all the books. Yeah, I've read all the books because like I have a 
uh, I'm a nerd, I guess. Uh, and like, I'm really struggling preventing myself from picking up those big tomes again and reading them. I mean, I am audiobooking through the first book now. It is much easier in audiobook form to get through. Highly recommend it if you I'm, have access to them. I might do that with Fire and Blood or just pick up Fire and Blood for like in paperback and read it. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, George R. R. Martin can be a little long winded at times, sometimes too much for me if I'm being honest and my brain just yeah. tones out. But most of the time, I feel like his length, it, like his lengthy prose is more than justified. But there are some times with some characters, Catelyn, that I just, I just, it's too much. I fall out of it. I'm going to be honest. I really want Nicholas Eames, author of Kings of the Wild, to make retellings of all of the Game of Thrones books. God, I'd, Same read, setting. The, I'd read the piss out of those. Wouldn't it? Oh, God, I'd read the shit out of them. They'd be so good. That'd be their By the way, y'all, if you haven't read Kings of the Wild, you ought to. It's yeah. a great book. Uh, that's Wild, W-Y-L-D. Uh, so good, y'all. I cannot cannot say enough how much i love it it is maybe like the only character in fiction i could think of off the top of my head that i truly found like ah, oh, that feeling of that me like it's so relatable and so fun and what a twist on fantasy like elevator pitch uh it is a band of guys in a fantasy world who at one point were known as a band that's short for like a band of mercenaries and this band would get together and they would go out into this giant, untamed, terrifying, magical forest full of horrors and kill said terrible monsters and come back like rock stars. And they had all the money and the booze and the women and the fame and the glory. And this book does not cover any of that because it picks up. 20 years after all of that, when they all kind of went their separate ways, and every one of them got married, had kids, got fat, got drunk, or some combination of them, and are now, like, pushing 50, and have to get the band back together one more time for an adventure that none of them want to be on. Um, it's such a different tone, and uh, what a great flip on fantasy. Get into it. Nicholas Eames wonderful writer can't wait for more stuff but that's not hobby progress um god nor I... is it a song of ice and fire <laughs> all right now time for the other more constant segment of this show in which we talk about legend of the five rings for 25 minutes uh yes uh i actually prepared a dissertation and if you'll look to your left i have a 87 slide powerpoint talking about why this needs to exist Although, in actuality, I can't give that presentation because my wife told me I have to quit my job and all of my friends to make her the World of Darkness game that I talked about in the last episode. So, uh, no Legend of the Five Ring Samurai for me. And with that sad realization that I no longer have a life beyond creating a game, play the music. Alright, John. This is my time away from forced creation um song of ice and fire yeah it's like that um stuff you put on like a bad back or like that flavor of comedy oh but neither of those are good bad time bad associations mentally for both um or like eating a popsicle next to like a bonfire Ooh, that was good there you go that would appear for one out of three can be okay one out of three is still failing grade. Just saying. Um, so Song of Ice and Fire. Like, to talk about this game, I feel like first we have to kind of give a quick breakdown of what the hell it is for people who may not have heard of it before. Um, so, simply put, to try to, like, break it down, uh, a Song of Ice and Fire is a rank-and-flank war game based on the Game of Thrones story, um, and it leans more into the books than the show. For example, uh, there's a lot of characters in the show that, uh, well, there's a lot of characters in the books that did not make it into the show just because there's only so much screen time and you can't put them all. So some dropped by the wayside or some that in the books were 
played a more pivotal role, worse in the show, but maybe weren't as involved as they were in the books. Um, instead, the tabletop game is leaning into the book adaptation, which allows them to have more options, as well as, you know, a more varied portrayal of a lot of these characters. Because let's be honest, it's a colossal world, and uh, them getting access to more of them is only a good thing. Uh, so, uh, also, it's made by uh, Cool Mini or Not, which a lot of you m probably heard of from the board game space. They have done uh, things like uh, Hate and, oh, what was the one where you're Vikings fighting for Yggdrasil? Was it Ragnarok? Cannot that's remember. the apocalypse in Norse mythology, isn't it? It is, but that's the flavor of the game. I don't know. It's one of their big ones. But it, isn't that also like a Marvel movie with a uh, blonde-haired man? It is. It's like the best Marvel movie, but that's beside the point. Uh, they also made Zombicide, and uh, you know they've really like cranked up board games, but they have dipped their toe into the miniature war game space with this game. Um, currently, they have seven factions that you could build an army from. But there are more on the way. Like, as we are recording this, House Martell drops in, like, a couple months. Like, models revealed the whole Kit Kat caboodle. Um, and there are more factions coming after that. We don't know exactly which ones, but it's safe to say they're going to be supporting it for a while, it seems. Uh, and then, you once you choose sort of your faction, you build your army using an app that they put out for free to fight back and forth in an alternating activation style game where you are fighting for supremacy on the battlefield as well as on a political board. And that's kind of the elevator pitch. Um, and for me, this is more than enough to at least look at it. One, it's based on alternating activations, which as we talked about a few episodes ago, I really value in a tabletop game. Uh, it just makes it feel a little more... I don't know. For me, at least, I feel like I'm more involved. And also, y'all, can we just acknowledge how rock solid of a setting this is to, like, pull models from? Well, like, back to alternate activations, too. Another note about one of the reasons why it's such a good thing is it does kind of passively force the game design space to make smaller unit sizes or smaller units on the table. Like, mm -hmm. It's kind of hard to have like 400 models on the table when you have to alternate activation. Because you don't really want 20 units on the table. You kind of want to have less than 10. Yeah, uh, I think the highest activation count I've seen in a SKU list specifically pushing for high activation was 8 or 9. And those aren't all units like on the battlefield. Some of those are political units that are just on a little tactics board off to the side. Which also means it's a game that has a shorter playtime than some of your bigger uh, war games that are out there on the market. Which for me is a benefit. Uh, I've played many, many games that last five-ish hours. Sometimes you just want something a little faster. Um, and I will say, like, you can Google these minis anywhere you want. Uh, I think the miniatures look wonderful. Uh, specifically, the, gi the Savage Giant model just absolutely has my attention. Uh, they just... Giants either look, like, too big and doofy or too small and human-like. And I feel like the modelers really hit the gap perfectly for where the sweet spot is, at least for my taste. And I, I cannot wait to paint it. Uh, also, shout out to, like, the mammoth model. Looks wonderful. Uh, the dragons look really cool. The dire wolves? Uh... So sick. Uh, and you get little minis for a lot of the characters that you probably liked a whole lot when you read them books or watched that show. Which is a, a benefit for a lot of people trying to get into it. And uh, it was enough for me to kind of take the dive. So, like, I knew this game existed because I went to Gen Con in 20... Was it 2019? I think it was 2018, 2019, somewhere in there. I think it was uh, in 2019, and that's when you first told me about it. Yeah, I went to a couple of Gen Cons. I think it was a 2019 event, though, where I specifically saw it being played. Uh, and it was released, and at the time, there were only Starks and Lannisters, I believe. I don't think there were any other factions out at that time. At least, I didn't see any. 
And I walked by it and I looked at it and I was a little interested because it's the IP. However, I couldn't help but think, yeah, like, we'll see if they actually support that. Like, it seems cool. But one, I've never played Rank and Flank before. And two, I'm not sure that that's going to keep going beyond two factions and they might just drop it like it's hot. I'll check back in a little while. Holy crap, y'all. They did not drop it like it was hot. I, I'm shocked how much they have supported this thing. Uh, so, be honest, I was a little shocked when I went to the website to see what was there. Uh, they have, at this point, Starks, Lannisters, Night's Watch, Targaryen, Greyjoy, Freefolk, and a whole slew of neutrals which you can run as your own army, with House Martell about to drop within a couple of months. And a variety of units within each of those, many of them with sub-factions in between. For example, if uh, the Targaryen, you can run an Aldrothraki first, with a bunch of cavalry, and led by Khal Drago. Or maybe you want to bring Daenerys with a bunch of dragons. Or maybe you're wanting to bring uh, Unsullied to bring like a really cool foot force, led by Grey Worm. You could do all of that all within one faction. So like when I say that there are seven factions coming up on eight, there's more depth in there than you would think. Uh, Not to mention they have the neutral faction, which is is really infinite cool. possibilities. Yeah. Um, so when I looked at it, I couldn't help but be interested because they had supported it. Uh, and as I mentioned earlier, to be honest, I bought the Night's Watch just because I liked the models and I didn't intend to play it with anybody. Uh, but I don't know. I'm kind of going through some stuff over here on my end and it kind of pushed me to realize that I should probably not wait for other people to do what I want to do and I should just do it on my own if that's what needs be. And I'd kind of been thinking about how I wanted to give it a whirl, so I just found someone locally to do so. Uh, and we had a, a a learner game with someone I didn't know named Dustin. Very nice guy. Um, and he showed up and we played on a, a weeknight, a work night, until like 11.30 at night. I didn't get home till after midnight. I had to be up at 5 the next morning. That was a terrible combination, but it didn't matter because I woke up smiling because I had a blast. Um, he brought a, like, almost mirrored list of mine to make sure that we were sort of even, and he could help me with cards, uh, to know what they did, which I really appreciated, so I didn't, like, misplay cards or something. Um, and we went back and forth, and I think, technically speaking, it might have been the closest game I have ever had. At least it's gotta be tied for first. Um, we were trading back and forth the entire game entire game uh he like had a much better early game than me that should have been bad like if i would have just fought uh, straight up i would have lost but i ran to the objectives to try to hold those instead of fighting him on equal ground which he didn't expect and then this game has a hard cutoff of six rounds it came down to round six it came down not just to round six but to the final activation of round six. And not just the final activation of round six, which was a combat to see if I held one more objective, but to the last save roll of said combat. Um, and in the end, I barely held up to his onslaught, held the objective, won by a single point, and it was a, just a great game. Um, Jon Snow and Ghost held up the line while these horse archers ran to get the objectives. And it was so thematic and so great. And I couldn't help but want to play more. Um, and it was enough to interest my lovely lady wife because it kind of checked some of the boxes for her that uh, she likes. Being she a... also loves that they're, that they're Game of Thrones. Oh, she does. Uh, she loves the lore. Colossal fan. Uh, probably a bigger fan than me. Uh, actually, not even probably, definitely a bigger fan than me. She played like a tabletop RPG, playing a, a member of House Martell that she made herself, that she played this game for like over a year, telling the story of like Sand Snakes and the politics of Dorne. Like total, total freaking nerd. <laughs> so she was already kind of primed because of the IP, but it also, mechanically speaking, pulled her because she doesn't have to do a lot of the bookkeeping that comes with games like 
40k or AOS or like large scale war games. And I found her an army, uh, as I mentioned earlier, an incredible deal for almost nothing, like a bajillion points of Starks. So she's in. Um, and we played and I taught her and I had just as much fun teaching her as I did learning. And, uh, our game was not as close. Uh, there were a couple of unfortunate moments for her that tipped the balance in my favor and we had to eventually, uh, call it before we hit the end of the rounds. We just knew it was going to end. Um, but despite that, she still had a really good time. And instead of getting done and going, I don't know, I feel like this mechanic just isn't for me and I don't want to play anymore. She went, I see what I did wrong. I'm going to kick your ass. You Ooh. got him. Ooh. You got him. <laughs> Hook, line, sinker. Well, it also helps that she's playing Starks and there is a unit of huge, muscled, angry women with maces called the Mormont Lady. She yeah, big woman. Uh, and my wife was over there looking like Tormund Giants Bane, just, is the big woman here? Um, because she found out Mormont She-Bears existed, and she wants units of big, angry women, and I can't blame her. Uh, so now she's very into Starks. Very, very into Starks. Um, yeah, it's been a blast. I've played a couple of games. I am pushing the game to other people. Learning a lot about it, because there's a really nice community online, and my local game store, turns out, has some folks who play. So I am kind of having a delightful time. But I kind of wanted to then, like, this has just been sort of the experiential portion. Now I kind of want to break down why I'm having so much fun. And maybe why you might want to look into it. If anything I've said so far kind of sounds interesting to you, even the rambly bits, which I apologize. But, you know, sometimes you just got to talk about what you're feeling. Like, no script needed. But if any of this sounds interesting, I'm going to try to break this down into a couple of points to maybe try to uh, help you, you know, self-determine whether this is actually for you. So for me, I've picked out a couple of highlights that I think makes this really cool. Number one, the game does an incredible job of bringing a deep and expansive world to life in interesting ways. Um. I, it's been a while since I've seen a team try so hard to take larger than life characters and translate them to a card while like keeping them in balance and making them feel how their namesake is. And that could be very hard to do. Cause let's be honest, when you watch these like shows, not just here, but like any big story, you know, 40 K AOS game of Thrones, etc. Some of these characters are so cool that it would be very easy to put them into a game with other characters and overtune them, right? Like that's, that's a thing you could do. Cause let's be honest, the lady who has three dragons in a world where peasants still shovel horse troughs with like wooden shovels probably would have a market advantage if you weren't careful. But the designers have tried really hard to make that flavor come through rather than necessarily skewing power. Uh, for example, uh, Samwell Tarly, right? The sweet baby cinnamon roll of Westeros. One of, like, the only sweet baby cinnamon rolls in the entire series. Uh, in the show, spoiler alert, like, famously, he breaks his vows and falls in love with a woman uh, who he, like, raises a child with, and it's delightful. Uh, if you choose to bring Samuel Tarly to the battlefield, one, he gives you a bunch of uh, extra cards in your hand because Sam turns out not really a fighter, although he was the first one to kill a White Walker, I will just say for the record, but Sam's a researcher. So when you put Sam on the tactics board, Sam draws you more cards because he starts researching whoever you're fighting to give you support from off the battlefield. And two, at once a game, you can bring Gilly his, like, Lady Fair, who he has spent all this time protecting, and have her jump on a zone because she goes to bat for Sam to help him win the day. And, like, she's not a full another NCU, but she will show up when she's needed. And I just love that. Like, I... I yeah, it's a pretty good flavor. Like, that's very... That's very 
good. That's very good. It's well designed. Yeah, I mean, it's subtle. Like, I'm sure there's someone out there like, she not good. But like, that's, I don't care. Like, <laughs> they they captured the essence of the character. And when I look at them, I go, man, that's perfect. That's perfect. Um, or like Jon Snow, uh, when he goes to fight with his brothers, he makes them fight as if they had less casualties than they have. And he can, uh, he has a rallying cry where he can, even in the lowest moments of battle, look at other units and help them regain health so they could keep on fighting. You know, rallying to snatch victory from the jaws of defeat. What a great representation of a lot of the shit we've seen in the show. <laughs> um, uh, it's just, it's delightful. Um, and John was mentioning this earlier, uh, the flavor is so good that it kind of trickles into making every unit a little more appealing uh, when you're looking around. And uh, I like that. Like, John, you were looking at Greyjoys and like, did you find a single unit in that roster that didn't look kind of cool to you? Uh, No, they all look great. The only like kind of complaint I have about it isn't really a complaint. It's more of an observation is that mm-hmm. all the units look very similar with slight alterations on armor, but it's a low fantasy setting that's going to happen. But what I was more impressed by was like looking up some of the rules for them because the rules are free on an app, by the way. Oh, yeah, we're getting to that. <laughs> you can just look at it all. Mm-hmm. Every unit had its own like special ability and there were clear like combos and sub combos of stuff to use. And it felt cohesive and it felt like each unit had its place or had a use case and nothing felt like a tax unit, at least upon like newcomer viewing it right mm-hmm. didn't feel like i oh yeah you take these two dudes because like yeah you take the two 10-man cultist squads because you have to fill out troops so you can get command points yeah uh like i also i picked up free folk because they've had my attention even my base raider units feel really compelling and useful because they are like because they are like the heart of the army and i i just i like that that's expressed uh second point uh, within the game, like it feels incredibly refreshing compared to what I've been used to. Uh, the core rules of the game itself are rather simple. And, and what I mean by that is it that, like, you know, no brain game. What I mean is if you've played any sort of like board game or tabletop war game before, it probably would not be very hard for you to learn the core mechanics of the game. They aren't made to be over encumbering, they aren't made to be heavy. They're pretty simple to understand in concept. And there's no need to memorize a whole bunch because all of your options are right there in front of you. But rather, all of the depth is pushed to strategy rather than memory. Like, your your performance will not depend on whether you memorize, uh, you know, all sorts of abilities across multiple books. It, you know, you don't need to memorize anything. All of your options are straight there. Instead, with time and experience, you can cleverly learn how to take these rather easily understandable options and layer them in combinations across the whole turn to try to get more out of your models than your opponent gets out of theirs. And it feels like you are, you know, if you make a mistake, it's because you messed up. And when you do win, it's because you were clever, not because you forgot something. I like that. I really enjoy playing a game and just having Joe outwit me. Uh, it happens way more often than I outwit Joe. But the <laughs> I, I don't know if I'd agree with that statement, but I, <laughs> I'll allow it hesitantly. But like, there's a lot of gotchas, right? In like a lot of these games, and I, I like when a game doesn't feel that way, right? Like I want, I want it to feel like we're playing a game back and forth, and like. At any point, we can turn back around on the other. Like, it's engaging, right? Like, not, oh, we're in turn three of five, and we know how the game's going to go. We should, we want to call it here? Have a beer? Yeah. I mean, and that was actually my next point. That, like, it feels like a clever duel where you slowly win rather than, like, a crazy alpha strike insta win. um, Or, like, a terrible gotcha. And I much prefer that. Now, normally the downside of this would be that, you know, oh, like a slow back and forth grindy duel, that's got to be hours. But in this case, it's not. Um, 
there are not a whole lot of units on the tabletop for you to have to push around. And the ones that are, are in movement trays, in formation. So, it's a really fast game. <laughs> Even my learner game between my wife and I, where I was teaching her, was about an hour and a half once we got the table set up and really started. Um, so I imagine if you are playing a person who kind of knows the shtick, you could probably knock out a game of this in like 45 minutes to an hour, somewhere in there. Uh, if you're both familiar with your forces. It also reminds me a lot of like old Warhammer Fantasy. Because um, like a lot of old Warhammer Fantasy was rank and flank. Um, mm -hmm. But though the table was large, really the playing space was much smaller. Because you had to keep within range of your opponent for a lot of things, and you had to maneuver and kind of jockey for all of it. And so what, it's one of the reasons why Warhammer Fantasy ended up being quicker games, in my opinion, than mm -hmm. 40k games, even back then, was because you were incentivized to get near each other and kind of like do this dance quickly. Uh, and I, I think that lends to it. It's one of the benefits of Rank and Flank, is that the game makes you want to engage because if you allow your opponent too much time to maneuver, then you might just get outmaneuvered. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I will say, if you get outflanked or if you pull off and outflanked, it feels very impactful, um, which is great. I like that, that if I put in the work to get on your flank, I'm going to get rewarded or vice versa. Um, but I have agency in that. I get to have some choice in trying to prevent you from doing it. Uh, which just feels good. And I think, I don't know, like the feeling of this refreshing strategy is furthered because of that small unit count and because the uh, rules themselves aren't made to be cumbersome. It makes the game feel easy to get a game in for. Like, if I'm trying to organize a big war game that I know is going to take like three to four hours, it's gonna be hard to try to maybe schedule out time to do that. Especially to try to sneak in a game or two on like a weeknight after work, knowing you have to go to work in the morning. A lot of times that's just not gonna happen. At least not for me and my playgroup. Uh, but this, it's so light and it's so quick and it's so understandable that I feel like I could knock out multiple games. And it was real easy to find a pickup game because no one had to devote their entire night to it. Uh, and every time I have played a game, I get done and I immediately want to play more game or paint more model. How, let me, let me ask you a question. How's the mental load? Oh, like, much, much lower. Cause the yeah. mental load of 40 K and AOS, to be honest, has been like really heavy. Yeah. I've felt that before, especially playing some armies that are, uh, sort of taxing mentally. Uh, here it is very low. Um, I mean, I mean it when I say that, like, the core rules, you don't really have to ponder. And in your hand, you do have a hand of cards, which are kind of like battle tricks that you could do. But every single card, when you look at it, says in big, bold words at the top of the card, when you can play it. So, for example, a card might say, when one of your units makes a melee attack. That's the big, bold at the top. And then there's an effect underneath. Another might say, when your unit fails a panic test. That's the big bolt. And then there's an effect underneath. At the start of any turn, and then there's stuff underneath. If that's my hand, normally you would have to be considering, like, all three of those options. But the big bold at the top of the cards is so well designed. Because it's very easy to look at your hand and go, okay. Uh, I'm not making a panic test or making a melee attack, so I just won't worry about those two cards right now. I'm going to just look at my top card. So I'm just going to think about this one card and when I choose to play it, if at all. And uh, I know the core rules, so really I'm just going to think about a little bit of where I want to position. And that feels uh, like it takes a lot of the load off compared to what I'm used to. Yeah, it makes it sound like, it, like even if you are like a Trixie player, you can play this without getting burnt out. Because, like, I love playing Trixie armies, right? Like, I have a Genius of the Kurtz army, army. I have a Skaven army that is just, like, a Rugolberg machine. Like, 
mm-hmm. all sorts of stuff, right? I like playing stuff that are either underdogs vying like and tricking their way to power or like like pulling off like a neat stratagem or mm-hmm. a neat strategy. Uh, I find it extremely mentally taxing getting through a game sometimes, especially if I play like three games in an afternoon, four games yeah. in an afternoon. I just feel wiped. Yeah, I'm just beat. Uh, like, and if the mental load's so much lighter in this, that might be that might help scratch that itch. Yeah, I mean, you of course have the options, but I find that it's really, really easy to disregard the stuff that you know you can't do in any given moment because it's just. I mean, literally, in big, bold words for you, hey, man, you don't have to worry about this right now. Well, it's <laughs> also, like, activation-wise. Like, I can be, okay, activation, I worry about this activation, and, like, maybe what my opponent might be activating next, but I don't have to, like, sit here and go, okay, well, depending on what this unit does this turn, I got a plan to see what those eight units my opponents are going to do as a punchback mm-hmm. back and forth, right? Yeah. And I will say the alternating activation on top of this game being sort of short in length meant that we didn't have to take any breaks to go do anything, which was nice. But also, I felt like I was in the driver's seat the entire time because, I mean, we were trading back and forth who was doing what, Um, which made, I think, the time we did play feel a little more fulfilling than some other experiences I have had in the past. Um, And, like... All of that, if that sounds interesting to you, like, y'all, really, I I encourage you to Google it. Miniac has a wonderful video talking about this game, and his passion for it is evident in that video. I'll link it in the description for YouTube, and uh, actually, I could do it for Anchor as well, so I'll do it in Anchor. Um, So if you're on, like, Spotify, you could find it there. It's a YouTube video from a wonderful content creator. Uh, And... All of that alone might be enough to swing you. But the last point that I like, I thought about maybe leaving this off because it's not like part of the game mechanics itself, but it, I feel like it is very important to talk about. So I'm going to put this one on as my last point. I want to take a moment to talk about how much more approachable this game feels, not only mechanically, but logistically and financially than other war games I have tried to get into. Um, th- for this game, for every faction... Sorry, I just had a terrible realization that I forgot a faction. They have the Baratheons with two sub-factions, Stannis and Ridley. Damn it, okay. That faction count is going to be at nine when the Martells drop. I don't know why that just hit me in the face like a sledgehammer. <laughs> uh, damn it, ADHD. But this game... Every one of these factions, including the Baratheons, which I initially forgot. I'm sorry, Tanner. I'm sorry. Uh, he's already texting me right now as he's listening to this. Um, they have a starter box that you could buy. And a lot of people are familiar with the idea of starter boxes. A lot of games do them. But these starter boxes are incredible. Uh, I bought my Night's Watch starter box. And I opened it up. And I was kind of expecting like a Games Workshop start collecting box where you have some models and that's it. (laughs) Uh, But it seems like this starter box was made to truly give you everything you need to start the game. So one, you open it up and there is models and a lot of them. In my Night's Watch box, there was enough models to make the standard tournament size list. Of like a 2K equivalent for people who play AOS and 40K. Just in that box. And then, further, you're going to need some dice to play the game. There is faction dice included in the box for your faction. You're going to need 2D terrain to play the game. There is a full set in the box. You're going to need a measuring stick to play the game. There is a one. There is a measuring stick. In that box. You're going to need objective cards. The cards are in the box. You're going to need your actual, like, tactics cards. There's a set of cards in the box. And you're going to need a rule book, which is also in the box. No added charge. 
And that rule book has a link to their website where you could download that said same rule book or the updated rule book if you're getting an older set free of charge. No extra money. Just hit download. You got it. Also, they update their cards from time to time. Think War Scrolls or like your tactics cards that you could play as like kind of like stratagems. Sometimes they update those cards. They give you printouts like, well, they give you the ability to print out those cards for free. If you want to like print them out, sleeve them and put them in a deck, or you can buy an updated set if you want, but you don't have to, they give them to you for free. Further, they link you to an app where you can look at every model in the game and it's war scroll and build lists with it and save those lists to your heart's content. Even track your collection of what you own and further, even filter if you want to be able to only build lists with stuff that you own and it will only show you those options. Again, no added charge for that app. All right there. And that starter box that had all that stuff, I got for less than MSRP. Like that's an incredible deal at its normal asking price of 100. I got it for $75. Everything needed to play. 2k point equivalent right out the box and like i'm looking on their website right and on their website there is two like tabs you can click on stores and events which will like bring you to a page where you can put in your zip code or your city and it will tell you a list of stores then a radius right which is great a lot of games don't have this it makes it way more accessible on top of that they have a little things for organized play and this, based off of other stuff that I've seen from other people, I haven't done organized play, has seems to create this environment of playing it with other people and strangers in a way that I think GW really fucks up. Like, to be honest, I, I think that, like, this game has potential, based off of everything I've seen, to have pretty good organized play. So if you're someone who wants to go for competitive-style play, I think this might be something worth looking at in your local region. Yeah. Um, it wasn't hard for me to find a game. I'll put it that way. But, I mean, this price point on top of everything else makes it so insanely approachable that it's an easier sell, I think. Like, the mechanics and stuff alone and how good of a game it is is one thing, but making it affordable and easy to get into without a need to spend a bunch of money on other stuff, not minis. Just is a breath of fresh air, and I'm really having a great time getting to play it, much like I did with Legion. Um, I mean, if you like the Starks, and you got a buddy who likes Lannisters, or vice versa, the starter set is $80. It comes with two armies, enough for two people to get playing. So for 40 bucks, you and a significant other, or you and a friend, can just play this like that at that price point it's even just like a board game less than a board game i've spent way more on board games um yeah and they're pre-built so you can play with them out of the box the night you get it yeah no need to build no need to do any of that stuff um and like well not i'm sure not all of these starter boxes have the same number of points in it the night's watch are fairly elite so they might have more but even my free folk box which is a huge horde army is still over 30 points, which is more than their smallest level of play. 30 is the lower point, 40 is tournament standard. So even the Horde faction, which requires more minis to get the same points level, is hitting over 30. And I'm betting that's intentional for value proposition. And not only are the starter boxes cheaper, like the actual other model boxes that you buy are similarly, I think, somewhere in like the $30 to $40 ballpark. Yeah, I think there's a couple that crest up to 50 but like when we live in a world where a 10-man squad of Space Marines is like $65, $70, like... Yeah, I'm willing to pay good. almost 50 for a big mammoth or something. Um, like, I'm, like, I'm not trying to shit on GW, just to put, make it clear. It's just... It is a lot easier to get people into this hobby of wargaming with stuff that they could feasibly buy for less than a night at a restaurant. 
Yeah. And I mean, so for folks out there, like, one, thank you all for listening to this. We appreciate it. But like, if you're interested in this, watch the video from Miniac. See if it's for you. And, you know, if you liked Game of Thrones, if you're into the books, if you're into the show, and if you're into the rules and you were concerned about maybe this being too expensive, guys, it's, I don't know what your budget is. I'm certainly not your accountant, but all I'm saying is there is a better chance than you would think that it might be within your, uh, you know, fun budget to try it. That's all I'm saying. And if you want us to talk more about this game, maybe dive into factions if you're curious. Oh, God, yes. Let I us would, know. I would love to break down factions, because I'm having a time, and I have some feelings about two of them. <laughs> and I'm sure we could get people on to talk about the others. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I'm just having a blast, and I would love to talk more about this thing, because I really enjoy it. And if y'all would like to hear more, say it. Um, we've got the social medias open that are always open and ready for y'all. Um, Instagram, the tweeter. If you're on YouTube, there's a comment section down below. Uh, if you want to go above and beyond and you want to kind of re like really be a champion and try to get your buds to play, maybe share this episode to them and try to pitch it to them. If you're into it and it seems like this is easier to get into for your group than a normal game like it was for my group, you might be able to get people to play with you more than you would think. Oh, and we all need to collectively bully Joseph to uh, post things to Instagram of the new game. Uh, I am, I do post to Instagram more regularly, but I don't know. I'm like weirdly self-conscious about my painting, but I am forcing myself to post, but I, I don't think I posted the Night's Watch. So you this look have to great, go. honey. You posted. Oh, thank you. I think I have to post the finished nights. Damn, I'm going to do that. Um, but don't worry. We'll be over here playing this game and not just playing the game. We will make more episodes. But for now, that's been all of our opinions. Bonafide Kentucky Fried. We'll see you on the next one.